From Hollywood, it's out of my mind. I'm Jay Douglas, and in episode 15, we're going from the pain in your brain to the pages of Wikipedia by way of the magic in a young girl's soul. It's more of the essential, non-essential, and curiously essential information we found all over the place this week and packed into about 17 minutes for baby boomers like you who haven't lost their curiosity. If you're not a baby boomer, you can still listen to the program. All you have to do is believe in the magic that will set you free. We're loving it as episode 15 of Out of My Mind begins by looking at what's gone to our heads. In 1924, while filming Sherlock Jr., silent film comedian Buster Keaton broke his neck in a fall. He not only finished filming the scene that day, he finished the movie. He didn't even know he broke his neck for six months. He was so involved with his film directing or from what he was doing at that point that his body didn't detect that um, it was a as a threat at that point. So then it didn't send out that pain response. That's physical therapist David Nopichai. And he has a story that maybe you've heard and dismissed as an old wives' tale. Well, this old wives' tale is supported by scientific research. Much of the pain we experience is in our mind. To put it, put it simply, uh, all pain comes from your brain. You don't immediately experience pain if you have like a tissue damage. What happens is the brain interprets all this information that comes from your nervous system and then determines whether or not your body is going to feel or to, to produce a pain response or not. That's not to say that the pain isn't real. It's the amount of pain we feel at any moment that's controlled by the brain. Your beliefs, fears, memories, and experiences shape your understanding and your pain experience. Um, so if you have some anxiety in regards to the pain, or if you have had like, you know, some traumatic social and personal issues, that can exacerbate uh, your pain symptoms. For example, you're a violinist and you get a paper cut. Violinists will tend to feel more pain than other people because it's not only the extent of the tissue injury, like the paper cut, but it's also the fact that they use their fingers for their living, and for their well-being. And if they can't do that, that stirs up all these emotions and fears, and that can exacerbate their, the amount of pain that they experience. Wait, it gets more amazing. At least for a violinist, the pain is real. And Buster Keaton did break his neck. But this guy... This guy stepped on a nail, like went straight through his shoe. You could see the, the nail going straight through his shoe like from the bottom to the top. And he was in like excruciating pain, like agonizing pain. So he went to the emergency room. They removed his shoe and the nail went right between his toes. It may be a little unsettling. You hurt because your brain thinks you should. But that's good news. Because once you've taken care of the physical cause of the pain, David says that even chronic pain can be managed through, well, teaching your brain to back off. For patients that I see as a physical therapist, what I recommend is that you should get checked out by a medical professional. Make sure that there's no other underlying conditions that need to be sorted out. Then we know that you know, there's no serious tissue damage or you're not going to do any more harm. Then we just encourage patients to go out and do things and be active. What activity does is that it helps to dampen down those pain responses. And you also release a lot of different chemicals and neurotransmitters in your brain while you exercise or, you're, or when you're active. And those are much stronger than any pain medications that the doctor could give you. you know, stronger than Vicodin, stronger than Percocet. And not at all habit-forming, except in the sense that you might find yourself hooked on being active. David Nopichai is a doctor of physical therapy and a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. He has more information on the pain-brain connection and ways of controlling your pain through activity. 
I've put links to it in the show notes. Go to outofmymindpodcast.com. That's outofmymindpodcast.com. Click on episode 15 and follow the link to show notes. On YouTube, you can click on the Read the Show Notes banner that will appear toward the end of the show. You know, the term editor that may be at the New York Times or something would be a very exalted position. In Wikipedia parlance, an editor is anybody who changes articles. Jim Hafey is a happily self-employed baby boomer living in Northern California. And while he's not an academic, author, internationally recognized expert or self-promoter, were it not for Jim and tens of thousands of people like him, none of us would be able to start a sentence with, according to Wikipedia, since 2009, Jim has been a Wikipedia editor. I got in contact with him because I was curious about how such a huge collection of information that anyone can change is kept on the up and up. Jim says it all starts with the reliance on individual initiative rather than corporate decision-making. There's nobody asking you to do anything. I mean, kind of informally, people might, if they think you're a good person, they might say, you know, ask, can you pitch in and help here? But uh, there are no bosses. There is no hierarchy in that sense. And everybody decides what they want to work on. And nobody else has any power to tell them, work here, don't work there, any of that type of stuff. People are attracted to edit articles on topics that mean something to them. Their own interest drives them to keep these articles accurate. And that's the sword hanging over every Wikipedia article. There's accuracy, and then there's accuracy. Especially on topics where emotions can outweigh facts. There are certain hot, hot topics where emotions run very high, you know, and sometimes... Um, what we call sanctions have to be put in place. For example, we have a standard that you can only revert, which means like remove material you don't like three times in a day on a given article. Um, and that's to prevent what we call edit wars, where two ed editors are just sitting there at their computer, one adding an information and the other taking it out over and over and over again for hours on end or days or sometimes weeks or months on end. But in really hot topics, we, we reduce that to once a day. It's not only these hot issue articles that editors have to watch in an effort to keep Wikipedia free of partisan promotion. Editors also keep their eyes on new articles. It's a constant problem. People are trying to promote extremely tiny businesses that are kind of run-of-the-mill type businesses and we're not the phone book. People are trying to promote brand new businesses that really haven't received any press yet. So we want a business to be established enough that it has, you know, for a business, it would be coverage in the business press, you know, the business section of a major newspaper. The idea is that we should have uh, articles about discrete topics that are notable, which means that they've been discussed in sufficient uh, detail, what we call significant coverage in reliable sources uh, that are independent of the topic. For all their diligence and effort, editors are paid nothing. It's a strictly volunteer position. And that brings up the question, why do it? You know, I, I did a major upgrade of uh, an article, the, the biography of, uh, of the trade union leader, George Meany, who was like the leading figure of the U.S. trade union movement in the middle part of the 20th century. And when I first started working on his article, it was pretty 
crappy. It had some very obvious factual errors. It was very brief. And I did a major expansion of it, and I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And I'm sure that will stand and be there for a long time to come. So there's a certain amount of satisfaction to that. Jim Hafey is a baby boomer with an interest in art, mountaineering, and George Meany. He's found a way to share his interest with the world, and you can too. Jim has some advice if you'd like to edit Wikipedia articles. It's an episode extra, and you can find it on YouTube. Go to outofmymindpodcastonyoutube.com. That's outofmymindpodcastonyoutube.com. Click on Playlists, and then click Extras. In 1965, The Love and Spoonful had a hit record called Do You Believe in Magic? Do you believe in magic of a young girl's soul? Do you believe in the magic of rock and roll? That's how the lyrics went. This is a story about both of those things. Suppose you were a preteen girl in post-World War II Germany, just about the time that the rock and roll craze swept from the United States to Europe. I was, I was uh, 10 years old, actually, when the rock and roll music started with uh, Elvis Presley and uh, Bill Haley and the Comets and Little Richard. And thank God we had a radio, so I listened to it always. So that was also the start of my you know, even becoming interested in the music. And then, of course, later on when the 57 came around, that was actually the big boom of the American music. And then people started dressing like that. They had the tight pants and the leather jackets, and uh, they all wanted to look like James Dean. It was because, you know, after the war, we needed something to boost our, you know, spirits. And the rock and roll music was it. If you were Heidi Marie Plune and living in Hamburg, you'd want to get even closer to the music. She was interested in the history and culture of America, but above all, she wanted to know what all the music was about. In uh, 1957, I heard the Everly Brothers on the radio uh, singing Bye Bye Love, and I didn't know any English. I could have taken it in school, but I did not like the Oxford English. I was always fascinated with the American English. So um, after a few songs came out, I uh, finally was interested uh, and intrigued to uh, know what they're singing. And then I got myself a dictionary, and I played my 45s. Most of the young generation doesn't even know what a 45 is. So I played it on 33, which sounded like very, very slow. And then phonetically, I uh, wrote the words down and trying to find in the dictionary. Ida Marie got her hands on some Everly Brothers records. One of the record jackets in her collection had an address on it. It was the address for Susan Rose, who was head of the Everly Brothers fan club. I got a dollar, which it cost to join the fan club, and uh, sent it to her with my every word picked out of the dictionary uh, letter. And uh, so she wrote me back and... uh, a friendship developed. Heidi Marie and Susan became regular correspondents. And over time, Heidi Marie found pen pals through 16 Magazine. She now had a regular source of letters, records, and information from her American friends about the Everly Brothers. So I got all the American and also the albums, and they were nice enough to always write down the lyrics from each of the songs so I could translate it again into German. And... Um, One by one by one. I have no idea how I actually learned English like I speak now, but it was all because of the Everly Brothers. In 1963, Heidi Marie's friends alerted her 
that the Everly Brothers would be appearing on a Hamburg television show. Ida Marie wrote to Susan asking for help. There was a hurried exchange of letters, including one to the show's host, and... Sure enough, I got special permission with my girlfriend Monica to see the Everlys. The show's host escorted Heidi Marie and her girlfriend to the singer's dressing room, where a perfectly composed Heidi Marie said her first words to her idols. And I said, my name is Heidi, <laughs> and Susan Rose wants me to interview you for the American, for the International Fan Club. Don and Phil had no idea who Heidi Marie was, nor had they ever met a fan quite like her. Phil said, Heidi, you speak such good English. And I said, oh, thank you. And I said, do you want to hear how I learned my English? And he said, sure. And then I told him the story. And uh, Phil said, Don, Don, guess how Heidi learned her English? She learned it from our music. Phil invited their prize pupil to visit him in Los Angeles if she were ever in the States. I said, Phil, do you do this for all the fans? And he said, no, because you're different. You don't scream. You don't pull on our hair or our clothes. So you are totally normal. And that's what I like. So anyhow, you're always welcome to come over to the house. For her 18th birthday, Heidi Marie gave herself a present, a trip to America. Don and Phil were out of town, but good to his word, Phil's housekeeper gave Heidi Marie a tour of his house. She returned to the States three years later, and this time she caught up with her English tutors at New York's legendary Latin Quarter nightclub. Although, she almost missed them there, too. I go to the maitre d' and I said, uh, you know, I'm here to see the Everly Brothers. And he says, well, we don't allow uh, ladies in by themselves. and uh, We need an escort. I said, I'm 21. I said, do you want me to pick somebody from the street? And, and uh, just, no, 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 it, it, this is just our rule. Heidi Marie called Phil at his hotel, not really sure he'd remember her after five years. As you might guess, Heidi Marie was the kind of woman not easily forgotten. That night, Phil was her escort, and for the following night, too. But every Cinderella story has an ending. For Heidi Marie, it was time for her to return to Germany. Before she left, she wanted to get some publicity photos to share with Everly Brothers fans in Europe. I called Warner Brothers Records for some pictures for the European fan club. And this lady sent me pictures, and she had a letter with it, and she says... Do you know anybody from Germany that would like to work as a housekeeper for a year? Never underestimate the magic of rock and roll. That job led to her getting a green card. And in 1969... I called Phil and I said, Phil, believe it or not, I am a legal immigrant over here. And he said, welcome, welcome. And he invited me over to his house. He said, we're replacing the, Everly, the uh, Johnny Cash show. And he says, I will always have your name on the, at the main door. So you can come to all the tapings. So that's how I got more and more acquainted with Phil and also with Don. Heidi Marie became part of the Everly Brothers family. She celebrated their birthdays with them and visited them at Christmas. Sometimes she was even called upon to keep the peace between Phil and his mother. When uh, his mom would come over uh, and stayed for like two weeks, it was a little bit too long for Phil. And then he would call me toward the weekend. He would say, Heidi, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, nothing. And he said... Can you take my mom off my back for a, few, for a few hours? When the brothers split up for 10 years, Heidi Marie remained close to Phil. And even when both were single, she never wanted to be more than a friend. He meant the world to me, and, and I have never had the, a crush in the sense, or I wanted to be more than just a friend to, the, to Phil or Don. And because the fans would always ask me, wouldn't you be, like to be his girlfriend? I said, no, I'd rather be his friend for the rest of my life. 
And she was. Phil Everly passed away in 2014. Heidi Marie can still sing the words to every Everly Brothers song in English. Heidi Marie Plune was born in Hamburg, Germany and transported to America through the magic of rock and roll. She lives in a rustic mountain community north of Los Angeles and remains a friend of the Everly Brothers family. She is especially close to Phil Everly's son, Jason, now a businessman in Los Angeles, running the company his father created. And that's Bye Bye Love for episode 15 of Out of My Mind. With the busy holiday season approaching, or if you've been shopping at any large stores, you know it's already here, we're slimming down the show to give you more time with friends and family. Beginning with episode 16, we'll start Out of My Mind short stories. For the rest of 2015, we'll bring you a single new story every week, bring back a story you might have missed, or update a story we've told before. And we'll start with an update on The Man from UNCLE, now that the feature film based on the television show has come and gone. I'll have that story next Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern. We'll talk then. I'm Jay Douglas. Out of My Mind is produced by Penny Summers and is a production of the Theater of Your Mind Incorporated, Hollywood, California. <laughs>